Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. Chuck Miller, Brush, Colorado, how long has it actually been since you've been on a rural route? Well, it hasn't been since the last time. <laughs> no truer words have ever been spoken on this program. <laughs> but I say that because, um, you know, one time I had a little a little accident um, out here on the lot, and I was take, carrying a trailer across the lot on the forklift, and it come off and started rolling, and I went to, instead of jumping off and stopping it, I thought I'll just grab it with the forklift. Well, when I ran up to it, I hit it harder, and it went faster, and pretty soon right mm-hmm. in the back of a brand new car. Oh. And um, brand, brand new, I mean, the guy had drove, went and picked it up at the lot, and drove to my lot to look through the sale before he took it home to his wife. That's how brand new it was. Nice. And uh, so we we damaged the back of it, and uh, um, anyway went through the whole insurance process, and and the insurance company uh, called and said, uh, asked me a bunch of questions, which that went over like a lead balloon, you know, all the great questions that come out of that. And her final question was, "Does this happen often?" And I said, <laughs> "Well, it hasn't happened since the last time." <laughs> Well, fortunately, you have a daily radio program on KSIR that allows you to share stories like that. Because if you don't have a loose tails, there's no benefit to experiences. That's correct. That is correct. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before we talk about water, which is the ultimate goal for the day, who knows if we'll get to our goals. You just never know. Uh, you have an auction coming up next week. I saw your lot full yesterday as I'm leaving Brush, and uh, Bryson made an interesting statement to me that things are selling really well right now. Why are things selling so well at auction? Well, um, in my opinion, we have a we have a tremendous problem. It's called supply and demand, and um, we I don't know that we've ever experienced this quite like this before and i don't know whether we're uh even anywhere close to the end of it uh we have a large demand of course farmers need to update equipment and and uh to keep their operations up and going and and um you know why is why is everything so much higher well i relate it to supply and demand uh supply of equipment is very, very short. Of course, our our corporations uh, haven't made as much equipment over the past few years as they previously made, and and we've sold a lot of equipment, and and so the used equipment market is very good because of supply and demand. Of course, uh, yes, the used equipment market is good is because of the price of new uh, has escalated so high that uh, it's brought up the price of used, but. Um, I really think it's supply and demand. It's really getting hard to find this used equipment. And then when you go back to these tractors, uh, a lot of these pre-def tractors, a lot of people are looking for them for many different reasons. Oh, yeah. I understand that completely. 
Uh, I hate to bring up two items <clears throat> that I saw sitting on the lot for fear that I would cause an inflationary pro problem, but really they ought to bring a lot anyway because my wife won't let me bring them home. You have a ground-driven sycamore to with the tongue on it to pull behind a team of horses and a little drill sitting there that would look fantastic in my yard. Um, there can't be a lot. I mean, there's just not a lot of people hitching up horses to go mow hay, Chuck. Well, um, we can make that happen. <laughs> Smoking like a true auctioneer. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very easy, you know. Uh, I, you know, your wife is a very special person, uh -huh. and um, I believe she needs one for her birthday uh -huh. and one for an anniversary or a Christmas present. You're looking for and, my last anniversary gift? Is that what you're, you're bringing up here? Because <laughs> if I get oh, her no. a ground-driven bar, sickle bar more to pull behind a team as an anniversary or a birthday gift, it will be the last one I give to get of her. Well, it's better than that pair of gloves you gave her last year. <laughs> I bought her a Red Bull one year for Valentine's Day. That actually went <laughs> over pretty good. <laughs> well, um... You know, you're knowing your wife. I I fully understand, and um, you know, it's I've been to your I've been to your house, and I I always marvel and I always tell the story how everything everything in your operation has a purpose and a place, and um, I always marvel about you know watching over people's operations and looking at the uniqueness and and yes uh you can just tell when you're in your when i'm in your environment that everything has a purpose everything has a place and everything has a necessity and there's not a lot of wants around that operation and oh, so you uh can say that again <laughs> <laughs> and so i i'd feel good about that but i'll bet i'll bet you can even talk her into that and if you need a little help i'm happy yeah, to no. help I'm, I'm not going to pursue that as a gift. I might try to pursue it as a, an essential because we might need to mow the hay. We don't have any hay, first of all. <laughs> we buy it all. <laughs> but there's always some weeds, and we do sow a little seed once in a while in a corner or two. So, yeah, it would come in handy. But it doesn't really matter. I mean, everything of anything that has a value is just selling well right now. That's the moral of the story. Yes, that is correct, and um, and as we go into this, we're getting more more extreme in shortages, and and um, you know I've had a had a pickup in a shop for right up against thirty days now. You drive by mechanics places, there's just car after car after car sitting there because they're waiting for for parts, and and uh, you know it just. It doesn't matter. Every time you turn around and need something, it just uh, seems like it it's not available. And see, that's a serious problem to me. It is a serious problem. I don't see a short-term remedy either, so more power to people who are providing that product that other people find value in. That's where the auction way works. Well, um yeah, there's many reasons why the auction way works, and I'm afraid I've spent at least $200 already this morning. Because mm -hmm. uh, isn't there some kind of rule, you know, mm -hmm. on your program? Yeah, $50 promotional fee. We haven't, yeah. we haven't named auctioneers Miller & Associates often enough, though, for that benefit. 
<laughs> you uh, you made your way to a sheriff's meeting last night. What'd you learn there? Well, you know, it was very interesting. Uh, the our Colorado sheriffs uh, invite invite the chief of police, and uh, they they have their their annual event, and it's a seminar along with uh, some social time and. And you know, I got to talk to a number number of those sheriffs, and you talk about a wide variety of individuals. Um, you know, when we think of our sheriff, uh, we think of uh, out here in the West. We think of a little Western, and uh, and um, you know, just uh, they are grand people, really grand people. But uh, man, oh man, in talking to a number of them, and I believe there was. Uh, Oh, what'd they tell me? 63 or 64 of them there last night, and, and I don't know how many counties we have and how many sheriffs we actually have, but uh, uh, either retired sheriffs or current sheriffs or under-sheriffs who were there, and then, of course, police chiefs. And you talk about a unique room. Um, I guess the, the hit of the night was... Uh, um, I was given the terms and conditions and the paying paying rules and regulations, and I I went ahead and said, you know, if uh, if any of this stuff disappears, we're going to have to get the cops on it. <laughs> and the guy says out loud, "Good luck with that." <laughs> yeah. But well, you just they all keep have an their eye trials. Morgan County Sheriff at all times, otherwise it's good. That's right. They have their trials and tribulations in the industry that they're in, and you know their sheriff is uh, is the very top authority uh, of each and every county, and and the sheriffs, uh, yes, they they held their hand over a Bible and swore to follow the Constitution as well. And I talked to several of them about that, and and uh, you know that's a big thing that we have uh, in our in our country that we're pushing and that we really need is uh, we need every sheriff carrying the Constitution in their pocket each and every day. And we need the sheriff to state that if you're going to enter into my territory, you will first come to me, and then if if I see so fit, then you must need, need to be deputized, and then you can carry out what you need. But it better be constitutional. Chuck Miller, we will take a break. We'll come back. We're going to talk about water at some point in time, but right now the Constitution, what's more important than that? Maybe a water compact. We'll find out when we return with more Rural Route after this. Protect the harvest, continuing to live in the trenches to make sure that individual citizens know, have information that may be beneficial in standing up for freedom and property rights. That's what this country is all about, the American experience. And Protect the Harvest is working to assist you at every level. ProtectTheHarvest.com for your repository of information. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Luce, alongside Chuck Miller. You don't really need me to tell you there's 64 counties in Colorado, though. You did, what you meant to say was you don't know that every county has a sheriff? Well, I believe every county has a sheriff, and, and um Yes, I knew there were 64, but they told me 63, and then I realized there were some undersheriffs and things there, so I kind of tried to have to bail myself out. <laughs> well, that would have been a first time. <laughs> Didn't do a very good job at it because um, somebody picked up on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
But, you know, we were talking about constitutions, and uh, yes, I know you carry a constitution in your pocket each and every day. I carry a constitution in my pocket, and I just pulled it out and was looking at it, and it's getting pretty faded and worn, and and I guess I'm going to have to reach in the box and get a new one, because I do have an entire box of them around, and I try to give them out. But, uh, you know, it was very interesting uh, last night, uh, of course, those charity events. We do a lot of charity events. Between Bryson and I, we try to get about 50 or 60, somewhere in there a year and um, it's always interesting what sells where and um, you know we had a special little metal flag ornament made last night uh, that we sold that uh, was for 911 first responders and um, the tag on it the selling promo was if you really like your dispatch you'll buy this and hang it over their counter. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize how important those dispatch people are mm-hmm. and what they go through to be a dispatcher. And, man, you talk about first responders. And we, we came to a point last year that was really interesting, and I just uh, talked to my sheriff earlier this year, but, uh, you know, we came to a point this last year of of really putting those first responders, those dispatchers, in a bad, bad position because we had so much press mm-hmm. about how bad the cops were. And the best line I heard was, uh, you know, uh, call your HOA president. Why are you calling the police? Call your HOA president. <laughs> you know, and, uh, i got to admit, Chuck, I never really thought about the dispatcher the person who receives that phone call mm. and and how they have to sort through things because, well, you're the one who told me that uh, overwhelmingly there was a tremendous number of Boulder County calls uh, when the fire was taking place that people were in their garage and couldn't get out because electricity had been turned off. But somebody has to deal with that nonsense on a daily basis. Well, that's why I brought it up because you you really can't put yourself in that position and mm-hmm. and think about it until you're in it and it's just uh you know and and furthermore 90% of your conversations are in panic mode all right yeah so people have lost their rational thinking if they had it to begin with that's right and so you know, that just really struck me. That probably was the thing I thought about all the way home. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the message of the night is thank you to dispatchers. Now, I said something and then I heard myself and I wondered if I misspoke. Is the dispatcher the person that receives a call or is there somebody that takes the call and then passes it on to the dispatcher? I would assume in, in rural counties... The dispatcher is the one that receives the call and passes it on Mm -hmm. and talks to both parties. See, in our county, in our case, because we're, I mean, you know, we're a small county, less 3,000 people in the county, we have a district. So you can call the sheriff's office in uh, Loop or Sherman County. But if you call 911, it rolls over to a district, not particularly a county. Well, uh, we're, we're, we have a dispatch office in Morgan County. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I believe, I believe if you call the, the state patrol's office, then you're looking at a, 
at a district situation, but 911, I believe we have a, a local office right in Fort Morgan that, uh, that handles all 911 calls because I happen to know three of the people that work there as dispatchers personally. Yeah, and, but you live uh, in one of those highly populated counties, not like Sherman County, Nebraska. <laughs> well, uh, apparently ought to pay some more taxes. <laughs> Um, I got word yesterday, by the way, there's 29,000 in Morgan County, Colorado. I got word yesterday you're paying plenty of taxes in Morgan County. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't know why anybody would think we'd be paying plenty of taxes. Yeah, you're paying plenty. I'm not going to give details because I don't have, I don't want to share somebody's financial information, but, you know, I always whine about, uh, property tax in Nebraska, but, I think you play your pay your fair share in Morgan County, Colorado as well. I think everybody pays their fair share of taxes. Well, our tax notices just came out, and yes, taxes are a big thing, and um, yes, uh, taxes have gone up tremendously because the value of property has gone up. And that's the way it is in Colorado. It's based off the value of property, and that's uh, what our assessor's office spends most of their time doing is figuring out the value of property to how to figure out the taxes. And uh, yes, um, we have a situation where taxes is the only way um, only way we can recoup what we need, I guess, to operate the county and, and operate many, many things. And, and yes, um, that's the reason we have Tabor in the state of Colorado is to have somewhat of a limit or a control factor on an increase of taxes and and yes we can sit here and and talk about taxes and every year when I, my tax bill comes I have to sit down and compare it to the last one I'm one of them anal kind of people and and uh, compare them and and yes I haven't done that yet this year but it, they are laying on my desk and I hope to get to that today um, and it's it's a uh, it's a very unique situation and and yes we always complain about it this time of year but um also understand the importance of it what i don't like is is the amount of waste mm-hmm. that goes on of course it's hank vogler who has so aptly put for 18 years on this monday program that we always get our tax bill and we pay our taxes the farthest possible date from the election date so that people have forgotten by November what happened in February and April. There's a reason we pay it on the last day. You know what that reason is? Well, no, because I usually pay it about 45 days after the last day. Oh. <laughs> so you pay additional fees. Yeah, just to make a statement. <laughs> well, I uh, I have um, went in and filed uh, opposition on my taxes. Oh. And went through that process. Number one was just to go through the process and learn about it. And number two was I truly, uh, truly had a point I was trying to make. And, um, did it work? Well, that went over like a lead balloon. <laughs> See, but I just been with me and pay them after the day. <laughs> but I just used that statement the other day. You know, that's what a guy told me. That'll go over like a lead balloon. And I said, well, um, don't you know that um, lead balloons will float and water will run uphill if there's enough money? Yeah, it always comes back to money, doesn't it? I got a call from uh, a f- landowner in Brown County, Nebraska, uh, about a month ago, 
and I went there because I wanted to learn about this. You, you mentioned the assessor, and I see this happening throughout my state, and I'm sure it's happening in other states. But, I mean, this very day I got called by my own senator to come and testify in the Nebraska State Capitol on property taxes because we're, we're legitimately trying and absolutely must get a handle on it. But there are assessors raising property evaluations 300% because they know that they're going to have, at some point, there's going to be less taxes paid. So they're getting ready and increasing the evaluations so that they have the same amount of money or more. Well, explain to me they know that there's going to be less taxes paid. What What are you saying? I'm saying that everybody understands that there's been enough noise about Nebraska property tax that at some point in time there's going to be a relief measure put in place. So they're increasing the assessed value so that if we have a relief property tax relief plan come through, they'll still have the same money at the end of the day. Rob and Peter to pay Paul. Chuck Miller, we got to take a break. We're halfway through. We'll be back with more Roll Route after this. And now we talk about immune health. We talk about health in general. The world's authority on nitric oxide production, Dr. Nathan Bryan, explains. We've got about 14 COVID clinics around the U.S. where we have a, a nitric oxide drug trial going on. I'm exposed to COVID probably every day. You know, pre-COVID, we as humans are exposed to viruses and bacteria every day of our life. That's just the world we live in. Some people get sick. Some people don't. Why do some people get sick and why do others not? It all boils down to their ability to generate nitric oxide and to have certain things replete in their body like vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, selenium. If you're nutrient deficient, you're going to get sick. If you can't make nitric oxide, you're going to get sick. If you do all these things, you can be exposed to, to COVID or any other virus, and your immune system nips it in the bud, and you don't get sick from it. It's really that simple. We're going to change this ordering process up to make it simpler. Go to loosetailsmedia.com. Loosetailsmedia.com. There will be an order mechanism there, and if you want more of the science, I'll get that to you from Dr. Nathan Bryan. Loosetailsmedia.com. It's N-O-2-U. The, the product's the same. The place you get it is different. Welcome back. Roll out, Trent Lewis, alongside Chuck Miller. Well, literally, I was alongside earlier in the week. Today, we're alongside figuratively. So uh, just to conclude that, because I really want to get to water, did that make sense, what I was talking about, how they're increasing 300%, Chuck? That's a significant assessed value increase. So what is the value of your property increased over that same period of time, the well, market value of your property? I can only tell you about my place. My place, uh, when I purchased it in 2010, was uh, $734 an acre. Its assessed value today would be three times that okay so twenty three hundred dollars an acre mm-hmm. um well that same thing happened to me okay but, uh, but let me finish that as my property evaluations went up my property tax rate went up 222 percent in the same period of time well now there's there's where I was headed, and thank you for that, because aren't there rules and regulations about how the tax rate is to change? Well, that's actually what the discussion is taking place in the state capitol today, but to put a cap on what the rate can increase in one given year, which isn't the fix. It's just a little Band-Aid. 
Well, I have a very interesting story of what went on in, in, a, in a ballot initiative the last go-round, and it had to do with taxes, and that'll be for another rural route. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, <laughs> nonetheless, um, I said the same thing when my property uh, got to the point that, uh, and I've been in the real estate business for 42 years, and so I kind of do know values of property, and, or I like to think I do. But when my value of my personal property right there, uh, that where I live, it's not personal property, it's real property, but where I live, when that got to the point that I thought it was over the market, I called and said, you know what, I'll sell out for that. Why don't you write me a check? Mm-hmm. You're telling me what it's worth? Now back it up with a check. And, of course, there went another lead balloon state to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so... uh yeah, it's an interesting thing, and, and as citizens, we should get to, get to understand it. And yes, uh, you should know everything that's on your tax notice, and you should understand how it got there. I wonder and how many yet, people even sit down and look at what's on their tax statement. Well, um, I can tell you not very many because I'm, I'm part of a, a, a lawsuit now where a mill levy increased to half a mil and we have the law Tabor in Colorado where it says any any entity that wants a taxation entity that wants to increase their mill must go to the vote of the people and I started walking around uh, here in Morgan County uh, with people that I knew that were within the district said did you see on your tax notice your mill levy increased to half a mil and they, no I didn't see that so there's the answer to your question yeah but it's uh, it's something we need to pay attention to, and yes, collectively we need to talk about that. And um, and it's interesting how our our county commissioners make out the budget and what all goes into that. In other news, tomorrow morning, nine fifteen Central Time, I have a scheduled interview with Governor Pete Ricketts about his statements last week in building a reservoir, or we should probably call it a canal, because he has word that Colorado has too many water projects planned in the future on the South Platte River, and that brings about a 1923 compact discussion. What would you like to tell Governor Pete Ricketts, Chuck Miller? Well, I wouldn't like to tell government Governor Pete Ricketts anything. Uh, I'm a fan of Governor Pete Ricketts, and I've seen some of his work, and I have uh, good, good friends um, uh, in the state of Nebraska that uh, I've talked about a number of constitutional moves, as you very well know, and and Governor Pete Ricketts is supporting that far better than um, our governor in Colorado. So I am a fan of Governor Pete Ricketts, but I wouldn't like to tell him anything. I would like to take the opportunity to sit down with Governor Pete Ricketts and find out what their ideas are, and how can we work together. You know, uh, since a week ago, Monday, I've been asking around, you talk about a 2019-23 compact, what went on that brought that topic up of discussion, and how did the compact come together? What was the purpose? And it just so happens 99 years later, it's coming back up. What is what is the real reason? Uh, somebody downstream thinks there's not enough water eking through the system. 
Well, that that in a, in itself is a huge, huge, huge topic. And as I was um, taking my first glass of water this morning, which uh, I followed your direction and need to drink many glasses of water each morning, but uh, uh, as I took my first glass of water this morning, as I took my shower, as I washed my face to shave, I, I got to thinking about the precious commodity. And just in that 22 minutes or however long that took, how much water I actually used in that amount of period of time. A lot. And, uh, you know, I, I have to share a story right up front that uh, the, our biggest problem with water is the amount of waste. Once again, we talked about that with tax dollars. Well, now we'll talk about it with water. And the amount of water that we, the people, waste on a daily basis. Um, I was in a brand-new $64 million school two weeks ago on a Saturday morning, and it was a fundraiser basketball tournament, all volunteers, and I walked over to the concession stand to get coffee, and um, the coffee producer didn't show up, uh, the, the donator of coffee didn't show up yet that morning, but we got to talking about the water, and they didn't have hot water. And I said, well, why don't you have hot water? And they said, well, the gal I was talking to said, well, the janitor said just turn it on and leave it run 15, 20 minutes, it'll get hot. And she said, I can't do that. I just can't do that. That's such a waste. $64 million school in its second year, and we have to wait 30, 20 to 30 minutes for hot water. Now, what's wrong with that picture? Well, it's kind of like how I boil my coffee on the stove every morning. It takes 15, 20 minutes to get it hot. Well, you uh, used a bun the other morning. Do you need one for Christmas? <laughs> I don't want a bun. <laughs> I like heating my coffee on the stove. I want it to perk. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's just something that's very, very serious. And you know, with water being, in my in my opinion, the number one essential of life, mm-hmm. um, we've got to we've got to wake up and smell the roses. I have a good friend uh, that I graduated from high school with. He's three years older than me, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's how I always introduce him. Very close friend, very good friend. And uh, anyway, he grew up in a large family out here in a little bitty farmhouse and they had one bathroom and there were uh, four girls in that family and uh, and four men and um, they had one bathroom and they literally had a timer set by their father before school every morning and you had two minutes and 30 seconds to shower and of course, uh, being in a farmhouse back in the, in the seventies and the sixties, uh, you know, you had a small water heater. And, um, I asked him if you drew straws, who get to go first? But he said, no, it was who got up first. And, um, but they literally had a timer and you could not turn the shower on until you were standing directly under it. And that was the rules. And when you stop to think about things like that, now, they had no ability to waste water because they were going to flat run out. 
I had the experience many years ago uh, working up at New Raymer, Colorado, in the middle of July, and it was hot. Went in the house, turned the faucet on, like I always do, waited for the water to get nice and cold, grabbed the glass, and the minute I put the glass underneath there, the water shut off. A lot of people don't know what a cistern is. You do. Mm-hmm. Well, the cistern was out of water, and I couldn't have a drink of water. Mm-hmm. But I ran at least three glasses down the sink before I got one. So when you, you just, just stop you, and think about the waste every day. You just created a whole new visual that I didn't even think about when we had this conversation earlier in the week. In 1923, a water compact has arrived between Nebraska and Colorado. And in 1923, it's not too off of the time when people would take a bath once a week whether they needed it or not. And you put in context how much water we use on a daily basis just because we want to take a shower or we want a cold glass of water. It's night and day, Chuck. Oh, yeah. And, you know, think about back in 1923, where'd you go get that water? I went to the cistern. Take a bath. Actually, my grandparents had a cistern that uh, I think it's illegal in Colorado. Correct me if I'm wrong, but my grand I grew up a, a, with a cistern that took wa- rainwater off of the roof and gathered in the cistern, and then we used it to to live. Yeah, there's a lot of things illegal in Colorado, but uh, you're right. That is illegal in Colorado to collect water, rainwater. Yes. How can that be illegal? Let's make sense. Well. Um, it's God's water. You've got to have the right to get it. Uh, yeah, there you go. You got. You can't just collect this water. You got to pay somebody to get. You got to pay the government somehow to get this water. Hey, I've got to take a break. We will continue. We have one segment left. We'll further explore the compact in 1923 and where we are at in 2022 when it comes to access to water on the South Platte. More roll route after this. It's time to do a recap of your opportunities as a Great Plains cattleman as being a part of the supply chain. You know, we have all of these supply chain disruptions. Well, we're just trying to strengthen the supply chain of the certified Piedmontese system. Are you interested in getting paid properly for the quality of beef cattle that you produce? If you are and you want to be a part of a system that gets you $180 over market price. Now, that's your local market price, fair price, plus $180. Use the Long Creek Cattle Company, Piedmontese Sires, on your cows. You do verify that you have your, that your calves are each sired by. So you take a tissue sample from each calf. As you're working a calf, you simply take the tissue sample out of the ear. You put it in a vial. You send it, ship it off. And they say, yep, these calves are sired by the Piedmontese Sires. Then you get paid $180 plus the market price. Get full details about getting closer to the consumer's food dollar at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Welcome back to Rural Route. Trat lives alongside always reserved Chuck Miller. You got to drag stuff out of him. You barely get enough to fill content of the program. Um, so... For folks that are listening in Montana or, or Oregon or Florida, it doesn't matter that we're talking about the South Platte, it's a compact between Nebraska and Colorado. If you have not had an argument, a lawsuit, or some issue involving water, 
It just hasn't happened yet because it's coming. No matter where you live, water is the new fight. you agree? Oh, absolutely. It's the number one essential to life. And, um, and yes, uh, our forefathers said it'll come a day where people will um, suffer tremendously over water. Whether whether it's a fight on the ditch with irrigation shovels, or or what it is, uh, yes, water is is the number one essential. It doesn't matter what part of the world you live in. It just so happens that a lot of people don't understand where water comes from. And um, when you when you truly understand where water comes from, and how essential it truly is, maybe you'll pay a little more attention. And yes, we can we can um, do without quite a bit of the water that we use in many different ways. And furthermore, we have proven we will pay for water. And there's another really interesting topic. You you probably recall when the first bottled water came out, and it hasn't been very long ago. Right, they do. And and uh, what's crazy is the 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 pureness of that bottled water, how many people pay attention to that? You know, we have all these health industries and health things around, and that uh, would be a good one for your daughter, your oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. Check out the the health levels in bottled water. People buy and bottled water because it's convenient, not because it's healthy. Exactly, and we proved that we will pay for water. So it's pretty simple in my mind. We, we the people proved we will pay for water, and it's the number one essential of life. So who should get control of it, and how should how should control happen for revenue purposes? Mm-hmm. Well, clearly you've got a, a, a state government that's trying to exercise wield that power right now more than ever. On behalf of who? Well, certainly not the consumers of Colorado or the producers of food in Colorado, but somebody who calls Denver home. Well, or orders from the federal government. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, I, I, I would Colorado. Know if I would go along with orders from the federal government, but you have people. Uh, well, you have a governor that is clearly uh, more of the mind that the federal government should intervene in the lives of the Colorado citizen more than, for example, the Nebraska governor does. And therein lies a problem and a riff. Well, I always ask the question, when you start giving credit, you're giving credit in that last statement. When you start giving credit, I always question it Mm -hmm. because um, our governor doesn't understand water. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a very special person to truly understand water in the state of Colorado. One of two states that doesn't get their water from another state, that'd be Hawaii and Colorado. And Colorado produces 18 states with water. So when you say understanding water... Uh, I did not say understanding talking. water. You said that. <laughs> okay, you're right. I said I, when, I have a governor who does not want any more federal intervention than necessary or at all possible. Uh, and I have a governor who, he when he got elected to be governor of Nebraska, he didn't know anything about agriculture, nothing. But he went to 93 counties, he talked to people, and he learned agriculture, and he's the best agricultural governor in the nation. 
uh, I'm going to make this some assumption, give him the credit until he proves me wrong, that he'll learn more about what, and I already know who he's talked to, so he's trying to learn from a Nebraska perspective, but we got to make sure he understands if we don't do this right, we will, at the end of the day, have more federal intervention. And that's what we're talking about, right? That's right. And you can talk all day long about your governor, but I can't talk for 30 seconds about my governor. And that's the problem we have, is for those two governors to sit down and have a have a good conversation and come up with a solution, I'm not sure is is possible. And that's where we, the people, lose in that situation. You know, in Colorado, the water belongs to the people. No one owns water in the state of Colorado. The people, the water is for the people. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the mountains were created. By God Almighty. Right. The snowfall is created by God Almighty. The sunshine is created, which makes water. Water follows the path of least resistant. Our forefathers used their wisdom and their blood, sweat, and tears to develop a system that puts the number one essential to life to the best beneficial use it can possibly put to. And we have a water court. We're one of four states that has a water court that gave out those rights. We now are talking about a 1923 compact because when we think about it, that's right back in the heart of development of of the headwaters in Colorado. And Nebraska probably said, hey, we need to be part of this. We need to develop something that gives us a right forever to the water that we need, and I'm sure agriculture was there. How many people know that um, when our settlers came out and squatted on a piece of land, they had to develop a source of water and put it to beneficial use before they ever got the patent to that piece of land? Water was the number one thing that they had to develop. So it's very unique how the history of this, and that's what so excites me, is understanding the true meaning of water, where it comes from, and and how God created this, and that's why they call it a property right. The right to use water is a property right, and it's a God-given right. And the Constitution says that you're entitled to just compensation if you lose your right to, wa- to use water. So now, how does that filter into Nebraska? How does that filter into the 18 states? And that's the questions that we need to look at. But but the point is, we come back to, why did Governor Pete Ricketts do a press release? Mm -hmm. What caused that? Yes, he said 241 water projects in the state of Colorado that may affect the future of agriculture in the state of Nebraska. Well, um, is the water that's running down the South Platte River capable of being humanly consumed? Uh, without the chlorine in the plant that just burned last week by the city municipalities? Probably not. Yeah, that's... that's. Uh, I, I think our real serious question and our real serious thought... How much water do we truly have that can that's affordable 
that can be used for human consumption. But that isn't the issue, is it? Isn't the issue uh, the water available to produce food to feed humans? Well, um, you lead me into uh, something that um, I'm very passionate about. I currently hold the right to use water for agricultural purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a farmer by any means, but I but I do own a farm and I do own the right to use water. And um, we are getting pressure that we have millions and millions of people coming to the state of Colorado and there needs to be more water for human consumption instead of growing crops for mm-hmm. agriculture. Well, can the state of Colorado survive without agriculture? No. Can the state of Nebraska survive without agriculture? No. So, are we talking about water in general, or are we talking about an agricultural source of water? And that's part of the questions that need to be addressed and part of the conversation that needs to happen. Yeah, it's all water, and there's many, many, many uses of water. But what truly is the compact about? The compact is about agriculture waters, right? Yeah, absolutely. So if that's what we're going to talk about, then let's sit down to the table and talk about it, and let's gather people at that table that truly have knowledge of agriculture water. Because where I lose faith Mm -hmm. is when the water mines of Colorado start talking, do they have agriculture in mind? that's That's not the highest dollar today past history would indicate they really don't care about agricultural water. I mean, they're, they're, they're talking about pumping a very rich region of agricultural food production in San Luis Valley in Colorado and pumping the water over a mountain into Colorado Springs to feed the growth of urbanization. Exactly. So our focus in Colorado isn't on agriculture is what I'm trying to say. So if your yeah. governor truly is focused on agriculture mm-hmm. we need to we need to clear that water immediately <laughs> just saying yeah we need to have focus because water is a huge 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 topic and we all know that uh, the water to grow the crops is probably the highest essential there is usage but we also know that agriculture cannot cannot pay what it takes to keep their stake in the river. Yep. So I'm not sure we came up with a solution, or maybe just uh, re recoined the uh, conundrum that we have. Well, we we have come up with a solution, and it's what you need to ask tomorrow at nine fifteen. Okay. What kind of water are we talking about? What is what is the the main purpose? What is the goal here? And if we're talking about water in general, then we have one discussion. If we're talking about agriculture water, it's a whole different discussion. In my opinion, and exactly why we do this on a daily basis so that we can come back and revisit the conundrum one day at a time.
Thanks, Chuck Miller. We've successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. Both of us remind you that all roads do lead to a well-irrigated rural route. Just one final quick reminder, Loose Tales Media, loosetalesmedia.com to keep track of every single media outreach that I have and the nitric oxide will be available for purchase on loosetalesmedia.com by Monday. See you then.